Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today's episode is brought to you by geico.com. What are you waiting for? By now, you've got to know that you can save cash when you bundle both your home and auto. Whether you're a homeowner or a renter, you can still bundle and save at geico.com. Seriously, don't take our word for it. Go get yourself a quick quote and find out how much money you can save for free. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring this very special edition of something to wrestle. Dropping in this week to update you on a happening over at adfreeshows.com. Yes, I'm sure you've heard of it by now, but what you may not be aware of is conversations with Conrad a special series hosted by the Podfather himself that includes wrestling royalty, key decision makers in the wrestling business that rarely sit down for interviews, but our guy Conrad, he sprinkles that magic dust and is getting it done. And if you haven't heard last week, part one with Jerry Jarrett was made available exclusively at adfreeshows.com. Check out a sneak peek. Jerry, I've run across a guy down here who plays bass guitar, but he's the, got the best-looking body I've ever seen. Long blonde hair, and he's getting a little thin, but you can dress him up. But if you can make a wrestler out of him, you can make a fortune. So I said, send him up. So sign up now to hear it all over at adfreeshows.com and get caught up now because part two is on the way next week. Plus, you'll gain access to the exclusive sit-down interviews Conrad has already conducted with both Jim Hurd and Jim Crockett. It's hours of content you won't find anywhere else. Available on both audio and video, not just a Zoom screen either. It's fully produced video with pictures and images of the stories that are being told. So sign up today and begin enjoying all the perks of your membership immediately over at adfreeshows.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. You ever hear some of my commercials and think to yourself, ah, that sounds too good to be true. That's probably malarkey. Here's the deal, man. It's real. I've got two, two small children. And, and by the time we have the house paid off, that'll be about the time they're going into college just for peace of mind. And just uh, reassurance. I thought it was, it was time to, uh, to give Conrad and his team a call. Holly was, she was amazing. She was always, um, open to, to my text and emails, returning my phone calls. Um, she really just made the whole process a lot easier than I even thought it was going into it. All said, we are going to end up saving somewhere upwards of around $58,000. 
like I said, I've got two small children. Um, just having that peace of mind that, you know, I know that they're going to be taken care of. It's, it's about as easy of a process that I've ever gone through. You're not going to find a better team and a better experience than with Conrad and his team over there. We're routinely helping wrestling fans around the country, just like you, save tens of thousands of dollars. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. Say something about I don't. Give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shit. Fuck you. you, Bruce. I love you. Take you cheese. Double cheeseburger. You take the bread. Double cheese. Well, you know. And then double mayo. You know. It's called chicken salad. Double onion, motherfucker. Oh, nothing but an egg sucking dog. Throw it in your Google machine. Goddamn, kid. Goddamn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. Eek, the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey Vince, tell me. My shorts look good tonight. Yeah. They're so big. Yeah. Go. Bullshit. Welcome to WrestleMania. World title now. Welcome to something to wrestle something with. To wrestle something with. to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to a very frustrated, sleepy, and tired, annoyed Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? Another day in paradise. <clears throat> We've got a different camera angle. I like the look of your office today. It looks like a pretty day there in Connecticut. It's a cold, rainy, wet day here in Connecticut. But from where I sit, it looks nice. That's nice. Yeah. So, see any good fights lately? I did not. I did not. Very disappointed in myself that I didn't get to see uh, see the fight. I uh, heard it was a great fight with old Tyson Fury. And congratulations to my good friend Tyson Fury. Good, close, dear, personal friend Tyson Fury. Known him for ages. Well, it was a great fight. Uh, I mean, even if you are even a casual boxing fan, you had to be entertained by that. Just really, really good stuff. After a, a great day of games, I'm sure you watched none of them today. We're here to talk. I did. I did. And I got a comment on that, man, for fuck's sake. I, I, I educated, uh, Pat McAfee on, uh, what a sooner was. Oh, so I did watch, uh, the, uh, red river shootout. What a fucking game, man. Unbelievable. That was, that was an unbelievable game, man. That was absolutely insane. And, uh, how can anybody be pissed off at, at such a great game as that was, that was an amazing game. I wish Texas, Texas had won just because I'm from Texas and God bless Texas. But, uh, man, it was a great, great game. I love games like that. They go back and forth and give you a lot of Holy shit moments. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel the same way about the Alabama game. Of course, I wish Alabama would have got their hand raised, but there you go. A little old See, school you action. and I both, you and I both, we like, you know, I wanted Texas to go over and you wanted Alabama to go over. But still, it was a good game. 
Alabama had a great game, uh, or at least from a fan perspective, it was entertaining to watch. So same thing with Penn state and Iowa, Arkansas and Ole Miss, just a full slate of great sports. And we're going to talk about some great sports entertainment from 1996. But before we do, boy, you got everybody hot and bothered last week. I guess we should address it right at the top of the program. Why not get everybody hot and bothered? Besides from showing up. Well, they, (laughs) they took issue with you saying you didn't know Kenny Omega when you had acknowledged seeing Kenny Omega's work back in 2018, but I took what you meant to say as that's the first time you met Kenny Omega, which was was Starcast 2018, not 19, but still who said 19, I don't know. The internet is like, how could he say he only met him? He only knew of him two years ago. And he said this, and I assumed, and maybe this is just because you and I are on the same wavelength. So often you met, you never actually, so we were talking about his progress in developmental. And your point was you never met him when he was in developmental, at least as far as, you know, the first time you met him was Starcast 2018. And of course the internet looking for something to be angry about said, he talked about him in 2018. How could he not know who he is? I don't think you said you didn't know who he was. And I, I didn't, I, I just never met the guy and I met him uh, at Starcast for the first time. Um, Super nice guy. He was very nice to me. We only spoke for a matter of a few minutes. Um, but no, I don't think I'd ever met him until that point. So I've seen his work, uh, heard of him, and actually probably commented to you about the, the silly skit that he did in Toronto or something at a lake house that I found highly entertaining when everybody else was crapping all over the guy. So, uh, no, I just never met him. So for anybody that (laughs) that wants to hang on my every word, Hey, thank you. I greatly appreciate you for that. But, uh, to, to let you know that, um, the facts of the matter is, is that, yeah, I knew who he was, even though I had really disconnected myself from the business for a few years when I left back in 2008 and disconnected myself from the business from 2013 until roughly probably 2016 when you made me start watching it. Hey, did you go to geico.com yet? Yeah. I mean, we should mention that I remember, and I forget which one it was, but there was one of those, maybe the first time Meltzer broke his five-star rating system and went over it. You and I sat down and watched the Okada Omega match. So when you were saying to me, and I guess everybody got hot and bothered about it, you know, you weren't, you hadn't met him or you didn't know him. I never took that to mean you didn't know of him. And maybe you mistakenly said that, but I knew we had talked about him here on the show. I knew you and I had sat yeah. down and watched the match. I thought you meant, Hey, I didn't have any interaction with him in deep South. That's not something I did. I don't remember ever meeting him until Starcade 2018. And then there was a little controversy last week about nothing. And here we are. There you go. So let's yeah, jump into it. But, uh, yeah, no, let's dive in. Let's talk about where we are in 1996. It's been 25 years. I can't believe it. And, uh, we've just recently covered in your house mind games. Now we're going to be doing in your house buried alive. It's hard to believe this was 25 freaking years ago. Uh, and when we first talked about mind games, uh, we were here in person and, and got to watch that main event again and. I don't know. Just took me back. Let's jump into it. 
Uh, let's start with a little quote from our old pal, Dave Meltzer here. He would say of, uh, the most recent in your house, mind games. It was the biggest and most important Monday night battle to date. The WWF losing the Monday night head to head rating battles by record margins. The previous two weeks was set to peak. It was the much ballyhooed beginning of the new fall season. It was the climax of the razor Ramon diesel angle that now has to rank as the biggest flop since the Edsel. And it was the day after the fake shoot angle with ECW. They had the finals of the intercontinental tournament with Mark Mero beating Farouk. They had pulled it from the pay-per-view show in order to help the rating, not to mention the traditional bump one normally gets coming the day after a pay-per-view and the fact that they were going live. The latter is the most overrated criteria of all. As in the days when there was no nitro, it was generally the final week of tapings of the oldest matches that had the best time for the results to circulate the draw when the raw ratings were the best in any cycle. Eventually the internet will change that. And that does have to be taken into account for future planning of the business and the percentage of wrestling fans with internet and newsletters combined today is probably less than 2%, hardly a lot to make an iota of a difference in a national rating. So let's take a timeout right there. Meltzer's saying right here, I'm going to repeat it. The percentage of wrestling fans with internet and newsletters combined today is probably less than 2%, hardly enough to make an iota of difference in a national rating. And you have told me before way back when, before you were back with WWE, that you would sometimes hear guys say in regards to something they did on television. Oh man, my Twitter blew up. Everybody's talking about it. And perhaps, I don't know, 2 million people saw the show. You do a quick Twitter search and there were 17 mentions or some yeah. such. It, it really does bring into perspective that while we are, boy, we're getting granular on the show here. As Jeff Jarrett likes to say, that really is what it is in the scheme of things, right? Yeah. I mean, perception you look at your twitter oh my god it's blowing up i got five comments come on (laughs) in a world of millions and millions of people just in general that's not blowing up folks so yes that that percentage is is very small and you know i also think that while I am a huge proponent of live television, I, I do think it adds an element of danger, surprise, and overall urgency that I think makes it better. I don't think that, you know, tape shows, if they're good, and if, or if they're great for that matter, and people have heard about them in advance, then maybe that 2% or whatever percentage of that is that knows what's coming Hopefully they'll be intrigued to tune in and see it. Um, again, I'm a live guy. I like live because it's done. It's over. <laughs> I can walk away at whatever time it is and, and you're done with it. Um, back when we were taping, it's like, okay, you're live for those two hours. But man, now you still got two more hours to do. And you can change those up until they air as well. So I like being live and being done with it. Psst. Hey, go to guy, go. 
Meltzer would write WCW was hardly sitting still with most of its talent in Japan. Since the original plan was to do a tape show this week, they practically promised the NWO would take over the show, which they did to the point. They took out an ad in USA today, practically giving the angle away. The results Monday night did a 3.4 rating and Monday night did a Monday night raw did a 2.0 for the past several weeks. Ever since the introduction of the razor diesel angle. The WWF TV has reeked of desperation. The TV is put together, constantly begging the viewers in every commercial break to not tune away and leading the viewers along with teases for the rest of the show that end with all the sincerity of a 900 line pitch. It's failed miserably. In fact, despite it being the most part of the talk of the inside of the wrestling industry, the decision-making processes, the constant striving for attention and attempts to be the thing talked on, talked about on Tuesday, on the hotlines, on the internet. The one thing the WWF is successful in being talked about on is killing its adult audience. And that's the audience it needs to win on Mondays. There's been a lot written about the, the audience of WWE these days that it's skewing older. I think maybe back when I was a kid. It was more aimed at kids. I could be wrong on that, but with action figures and what have you really becoming the hot thing, it did feel like it skewed younger. The attitude era seems like it was more adolescent males and young men. Do you think the audience has really changed or is it really by and large, the same growth same folks who've just grown up with you? I think it's a little bit of both, but a lot of it is the same folks that have grown up with it and continue to follow the product. I think that there's through time and I'm one of those cycle guys. I believe the business, you know, goes in a cycle and you have your ups and your downs. But the one thing that you always have to look at that people forget is you have to look at it as a business. And where are you going to do the best thing for business? And if that involves merchandising and action figures and movies and extracurricular things that you can create revenue from, then that's what you do because that's business. It's not all about, okay, well, we're going to do this to please ourselves. That's one of the silliest things that, that I ever hear in critiques. Uh, you, you're doing it for business purposes. You want ad television is all about selling ads and that's what you do. As long as, you're selling ads and you're making money on your business and you're doing good business. So Meltzer would continue. Jim Ross ended up as the scapegoat for the razor diesel angle, something that had been clear from the bad reaction to the angle from the second week. After a brief glimpse the night before on pay-per-view where Rick Bogner and Glenn Jacobs dressed as razor Ramon and diesel attacked Savio Vega. The television show was built around teasing their appearance later in the show. It made the WWF come off, come across that much more foolish since Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were shown early on during nitro also live and well before the WWF unveiled its new men that had quote unquote taken over nitro and were making a joke about accepting no imitations. WCW had its own inside joke during that show, introducing Michael Jones, formerly Virgil in the WWF. As the new chief of security for the NWO, 
and they named him Vince. Finally, Ross came into the ring to deliver the goods. Let's take a time out there. How quickly did you want to abort mission with this whole fake razor and diesel thing? I didn't. I wanted to go through with it. Again, it was to prove a point and prove a business point in owning an IP and to be able to continue to use that IP any way that you can. Uh, was it a success? No, it was a drizzling shits. It was horrible. Do I wish I could take it back now? Yes. At, at the time? No. At the time, let's go through with this because you needed to go through with it to be able to give an example of the intellectual property and, and why it belonged to us and how WCW was using that intellectual property. Now, you can even see it in their run sheets that were in Discovery, uh, them referring to them as Razor and Diesel. So, yes, they were trying to confuse the uh, audience, and they were themselves addressing them not as Hall and Nash, but as Razor and Diesel on their own run sheets. Let me spell it for you. G-E-I-C-O dot com. That's Geico dot com. What did you think of Virgil showing up as uh, Vince? Um, how'd that work out for him? Well, he was there. I collected the check for a long time. There you go. So good for him. And, is, and they're still doing that NWO angle with Virgil on the WCW show now. You're right. I mean, in hindsight, I think if, if they hadn't named him Vince, the NWO would have still been going, right? I mean, that's really the reason WCW went under. Exactly. Is they named Mike Jones Vince. And that was their, their critical error in the whole and everybody thing. Everybody knew he was Virgil because they couldn't name him Virgil because we own the IP. Because then we would have brought out another goddamn Virgil. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Meltzer says, instead, it was a tremendous one-man performance. Yet another work shoot angle. Ross turned on the WWF, saying that he left a good job in Atlanta, was also an announcer for the Atlanta Falcons, and brought in to be the lead play-by-play -play man for the WWF. He said, yeah, but he called us. Uh... I don't know what you're talking about right now. We're talking well, about Jim, a, Yeah. We're talking about an angle where he turned heel. Do you remember this? Bastard. Trash or fry. When you wow. get finished with your lunch, we can have a conversation about it. But I'm done. It wasn't lunch. It was a homemade cookies. <laughs> My daughter brought we, We've reached Rick Flair like when they're warm, damn it. We've reached Rick Flair show levels here where you're just yeah, eating right eating into the in mic. The thing. It wasn't picked up in the thing. You oh, just yeah. saw me. No, no, no. I heard your lip smacking. I don't even have my video up. I'm not even eating now and you hear them smacking. Yeah, because you're trying to clean the chocolate chips out of your fucking teeth. So? <laughs> <laughs> so Jim's first appearance was at WrestleMania 11. <clears throat> He's talking about that, or WrestleMania 9, rather. You guys are dressing him in a toga, and he's saying he left a career broadcasting the NFL to wear a toga. And, uh, he says, if you listen to his call, a King of the ring that year, he thought it was a level above what anyone else in wrestling was capable of. And he said that he was, you know, the best play by play announcer in the business, which got a big baby face top pop. And then he says he's taken off TV because of the egotistical owner of the WWF. And, uh, he got some cheers and then some booze. And then he talks about getting bell's palsy and then being fired two weeks later saying he had to tell his new wife and two little girls that their dad had been fired. 
that he had to live in Connecticut, which he called an overpriced hellhole, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he's running down his, he's the airing of grievances as a great man once said, and I love the JR heel angle here for a moment, but boy, putting him with razor and diesel less than awesome. How do you think Jim did in his heel turn promo? I enjoyed Jim's promo. I thought it was good. And, and, you know, I mean, again, it was, it was something to, that was different and to give Jim an opportunity to get out as a performer outside of the play by play thing and have some fun with this thing. He always wanted to work. He always wanted to do that. Anyway, here was his opportunity. It's a big raw because there's a lot of monumental stuff. You're going to introduce razor and diesel and, uh, Yeah. Well, we did. It was great. You got your ass beat in the ratings. Are you guys, do you remember this being like the most desperate feeling and at your run so far in WWF, as far as competition goes, I mean, it feels like for a long time, WCW was so far behind you. You couldn't even see them in your rear view mirror. And now here you're grasping at straws. You're pulling out all the big stops. You're, you're trying to get creative and think outside of the box and all that sort of cliche shit and the ratings come in and damn it. They beat us again every week. Is this defeating for, for 83 weeks? Yes. Yeah. Well, well it happened yeah. more, it happened more often than that, but it happened 83 weeks in a row where you couldn't get your head above and, water. And then it happened 20 years before that, 20 years after that. I'm not arguing any of that. God damn. Yeah. I feel like here. But no, I mean, I, I mean, it's like, oh my God, you guys, you guys, you know, lost for a couple of years. Okay. And then we came back. No, no, you, you hadn't lost for a couple of years at this point. I'm asking at this point, all of a sudden you find yourself in a defensive position. And even when you're throwing everything against the wall, nothing's helping. Do you think this leads to some sort of desperate feelings on your behalf or Vince's Is anybody feeling like, God damn, what's it going to take to get this thing going? I, I defensive is just the wrong, wrong terminology. What is the right it, word it's business? I think every time that you look at it, your business is up, your business is down and every, it, it feels like every day you're fighting to do better. You're fighting to do more, no matter what it is that you're doing. So it, it wasn't, you know, desperation without a doubt. You're looking at that. You're feeling that because it's your livelihood and it's, and it's, it's your life. It's not a nine to five job. If you don't go in and punch a clock and worry about everything else, what we're doing was our livelihood. And and by that, I mean, not just a paycheck. It was our life. It's what we did. We lived every minute of our day, every second of our life for this business. So you're, you're making decisions that affect that in every single way. Um, you know, defensive, uh, I don't know. I think some people may look at it like that. To me, it was, it was another day and it was another fight. Every, even when you are on top, you are continually fighting to be better. No matter what you do. Chat me up about the, the heel JR thing. What was the creative for this going to be like, had it gone well, what, what would it have become? What would, I mean, would it have led to a stable of him? handling disgruntled wrestlers against the WWF or if it would have really hit, did you have like a grandiose plan for what it could have been? 
I think if it if it would have hit, you know, we would have gone with it. We would have continued to program those guys in in bigger programs. At the time, it was a opportunity to let everyone know who owned the IP, and it was an experiment. Okay, let's let's see if this works. And it was a legal situation where you're looking at it, going, okay, well, this this proves our point, and we own the. IP, we own the character, so no different than television shows and movies. How many James Bonds have there been? Right. They're all James Bond, but this wasn't Sean Connery playing James Bond. This was Robert Moore. So it's, uh, I think, it's a preference, and it's just a, it's business. Let's talk about... Um... Mark Merrow here for a minute. Mark Merrow is going to defeat Farouk to become the intercontinental title. A lot of people assume the title tournament would crown Farouk as the IC champ for the return of Ahmed Johnson. But as we covered in the Farouk episode recently, that just wasn't to be, do you think Mark Merrow was ready for this IC spot? I do not. I think that there was, there was a part of, of all of us and, and I'll, I'll say, especially my feeling was, I think Vince was waiting for Johnny B. Bad to come out, or at least that charisma that Johnny B. Bad possessed. And it wasn't possessed by Mark Merrill. Um, is it, I mean, talk me through how you just sort of try things like this. If you think that, I mean, did you feel that way at the time or is that just where you eventually landed on him? Do I think that way as far as Mark Merrill and Johnny B. Bad? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's looked at kind of from the point of view of, well, maybe, you know, a championship and boost him up. Uh, we'll get that charisma out of him. And I don't know that it, at that point you could kind of go, well, shit, maybe that charisma was all the gimmick in Johnny B. Bad. I think hindsight being twenty twenty, that's kind of where it landed. But you got to try things. That's exactly right. Yeah. Just I mean, because it doesn't work out doesn't mean it's not worth a try. Yeah. I mean, everything you, you're never going to know until you try. And sometimes I think probably the biggest frustration um, throughout my entire career is not, you know, a lot of times not being able to try things all the way through. And a lot of times we'll, we'll cut things short when it's the inkling. Okay. This isn't working. Okay. But if you did three more things, would it have worked? Cause you've turned it around and, and that's all just left for conjecture. Attention sports bettors. Has anyone ever given you a thousand dollars before? Hi, I'm Wayne Alaroot, the man the media calls the king of Vegas sports gambling. There's never been a sports handicapper like me. First, I'm giving away a thousand dollars of free point spread picks to the first 1,000 sports bettors to respond at VegasWinners.com. It's simple and easy. Just be among the first thousand right now at VegasWinners.com for your thousand dollars of free point spread picks. It's a thousand for the first thousand. Second, I actually win. I'm 22 and 8, 73% winners to start NFL 2021. My primetime games are 11 and 1, 92% winners. My world famous games of the year 4-0 the past four weeks and my famous pinnacle plays 75% winners for this season all independently monitored and documented at vegas winners we've got it all free picks and best bets every day for myself and 21 champion sports betting experts it's fully automated completely private no one ever speak to be one of the first thousand to log on right now and get your thousand dollars of free point spread picks just log on to vegaswinners.com that's vegaswinners.com Let's talk about, uh, Sable 
Meltzer would write, apparently Sable accidentally stiffed Sonny in the eye during their slap fight. Sonny was originally supposed to beat up Sable, but Mero wouldn't go for it, which caused a lot of backstage heat between Mero and Sonny. We've touched on this before. What do you remember of this? God, I really don't. I mean, but as far as somebody stiffing somebody that happens in this business every single day. So, um, I don't think <clears throat> from Rena's point of view, I don't, I don't think that Rena would have even known that she was stiffing someone. May she have been stiff possibly, but I don't think that she would have ever done it intentionally in a million years. Um, Oh, this is also the raw where Taz jumps the guardrail before a commercial break, along with Bill Alfonso, they're going to invade raw with a sign that says Sabu fears Taz. And we've covered this in the archives briefly, but there are moments that are remembered so vividly, even though the ratings don't reflect it. I mean, I think more people remember this moment as being a big moment, as opposed to Mike Jones showing up and calling him Vince. So <laughs> Even though you're losing the ratings, you've got some pretty memorable ideas here. What do you remember about getting people on board with this whole Sabu fears Taz stunt? Uh, we weren't worried about Sabu fearing Taz. That was, that was Paulie's creative. You know, this was again, the, the attempt to give ECW some national exposure as they entered into their first pay-per-view foray and they needed some national exposure and it looked as, uh, being in where the hell were we in Hershey, Pennsylvania for that particular one. I think that's where we were. Um, give them, a, give them some exposure, get some people talking. Is this ECW coming into WWE? What, what's, what the hell's going on here? And I do think you got some people talking. I mean, I think the, the, some of the stuff you guys are trying like this is super fun, but it does make me wonder. And I wonder from your perspective, is it catering to too small of an audience? You know, just a few moments ago, we talked about, oh, it's blowing up on Twitter. And, and even Dave is saying, maybe that's 2% of fans, this whole, Hey, we're going to co-op something with ECW. Is that catering to too small of an audience in hindsight? No, it, it well, depends on whose viewpoint you're looking at it from. If you're looking at it from ECW's viewpoint, they're reaching a, an audience 10 times what their normal audience was. So for them, it, it was good, and we weren't looking, oh, my God, we're going to get ECW's audience. I believe we already had ECW's audience. And that wasn't you know, something that was big enough that was going to make a difference. For them, we were hoping it, it would, and we were hoping that ECW would be able to have a successful pay-per-view event. And if we could help do that, then that could hopefully benefit both to grow ECW and grow – your own competition and work with them to hopefully make them the best they can be. So Taz jumps the rail during the Owen Hart, Davy boy versus uh, body Donna's match, which is really the last time we get to see the body Donna's you sad to see, uh, your old brother, Tom leave the main roster like this. Uh, no, cause he wasn't happy. So you know, for him, I think that that was, was probably a good thing. Uh, you know, Tom was, was not happy during this, that time with skip and everything. And it just wasn't, wasn't a fun time for him. So the real double J is introduced on this same episode. And of course it's Jesse James 
and you guys exposed Jeff Jarrett as that dirty damn fraud that we always knew he was. Yep. Since he's about to debut in WCW. And it's reported in the observer that James is now signed to a five-year deal. Oh, trust me. It wasn't because he was going to debut in WCW. It was because all the way through that promotion, Jeff had told Pat and I on numerous occasions that he was down with the angle and that he was good to go and all this stuff. And then just bolted. So it was, yeah. Are and you- the idea always was to debut the real, the real double J long before this. Well, now Jeff would hear that. I mean, when we talked to Jeff, Jeff says he, he was all about the creative. He just didn't want to do the, the finish this fast. He thought they had heat and momentum and he wanted to keep it going and stretch it out, but he was not opposed to the angle. He just felt like there was more meat on the bone and thought y'all were wanting to rush it. You call bullshit. Yeah, I do. It's not what he said then. What did he say then? He said then that he didn't want to do the uh, expose angle and that he wanted to continue on as if he were the, the singer and didn't want to do the thing with Jesse yet. Well, that's what I just said that he said. I just said he didn't want to do okay, it. No, yeah. he want he wanted, you're saying that he wanted to continue on with the angle. Event, with, he wanted to keep going with him being the big country music singer and th- do the yes. big reveal later. And y'all wanted him to do it right then. Okay. Yeah. We're probably saying the same thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I wanna... didn't, shouldn't have done it that way. Oh, no, he agrees. He shouldn't have walked out. I think everybody agrees on that. Uh, he, he, uh, he being Jesse James gets a five-year deal here. When he comes back, of course, Jeff, when he walked out, didn't go by himself. He took Jesse James with him and we added a lot of context to that, that you guys should probably listen to, um, over on the my world with, with Jeff Jarrett podcast, there was rumors at the time that perhaps Mr. James, um, doing a little dabbling here and there, and maybe that played something to do with Jeff's uh, decision-making, but I want to know about the five-year deal. When Jess, when road dog comes back, he gets locked down to a five-year deal. It doesn't feel like that was always the case with WWE. Did that change because of the WCW influence? Boy, you got me on that one because I wasn't involved in that. I don't know. Okay. I, I, I can't answer. I really don't know the particulars of his deal. So raw that particular raw does a $63,000 gate. There's 3,923 paying fans. We should mention around this same time, uh, Neville Meyer and Linda McMahon are named co CEOs in an organizational depth chart change. Um, Myers first act is cutting some front office members and, and we'll run through that, but we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Meyer. What can you tell us? There's not a lot to say about Neville. He wasn't around that long. You know, Neville Meyer was someone that was in a lot of the, uh, when we would have big meetings and stuff, Neville would be a part of those meetings and would kind of sit either, either in the back row uh, off of the main conference table or kind of away from everyone. And no one ever, it was weird, man. Nobody ever, he never introduced himself. Uh, no one ever went over and introduced himself to him and said, who are you? Um, but I'm one of those people that if I walk into a room and I'm going into a meeting and I don't know the people in the room, 
I go over and I introduce myself and I ask them, who are you? You know, okay, great. Uh, if I know, if I know the name, but I don't know, uh, the face, you know, okay, great. Or if I don't know who the hell they are and why they're there, I, I get that information. But I had gone over to introduce myself to Neville, Neville and he's like, hello, you know, I'm, I'm Neville, Neville, Neville Meyer. And that was it. And so then I asked Vince afterwards, I'm like, who the hell is this Neville Meyer? Why is he in all of our meetings now? And it was, Neville was a guy that, uh, had, he had produced some movies, executive producer, of some movies, worked with movie, movie studios and, um, been all over the world actually, uh, doing a lot of things, but his expertise, I think more than anything that was attractive was his Hollywood ties and connections to that industry, but also, uh, had a reputation for taking companies public and being able to recognize if a company could go public and be able to help with the infrastructure to, to do that. And that's what Neville was brought in to do was to basically take a look at the company, see if we had the potential to go public and then maneuver it to the point that we would be able to go public. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. These days he's running housewares America. Uh, but his LinkedIn shows that he was co-CEO from 96 to 98. I guess he started out as an, as a consultant in April of 1996, but one of his first, uh, tasks is to cut some front office members. Let's run through some of these names. See if any ring a bell. I'm going to butcher this first one. Osbert de Aker. No, Osbert de Arce. Okay. And or as Vince would say, now you're looking at the way the name is written, right? Yeah. Okay. The way Osbert introduced it was Osbert de Arce. Yeah. Vince would call him Alspert. Mm. With a P. And Vince and Vince would actually get pissed in front of in front of Osbert and say, No, it's Alspert. And I just look at him and go, Well, Osbert says it's Osbert. And then and Osbert would baby faces way. Ah, oh, you can say it any way you want to. So however the fuck you want to say is Conrad ways, any way you want to say his name, have at it. So what did he do? Osbert. What was his role? What was his, uh, what was he doing for the company, his organization? What did he do his job? God, well, I don't know what he did. I think his title was like vice president of international marketing and promotion, maybe or he was vice president of, of marketing and promotion. And he's the one that uh, we had the, the very detailed talk and, and where I always quote about there's a big difference between a marketer and a promoter. A marketer goes by a plan and, promo I mean, and, and markets. A promoter promotes and gets out there and does grassroots, making people aware of an event and promotes the shit out of it. A marketer will, a lot of times, they'll follow a book and follow a plan. It's, it's a, it's a, Subtle difference, but there is a difference. 
And Osber was a, um, he looked like Ricky Ricardo. Apparently spoke like 11 languages. Um, a suave guy. Uh, some people, I think, kind of looked at him as a bit of a, um, I don't want to use the word con man, but they, they looked at him as a smooth operator that wasn't always, you know, I think after the fact, as it went through his background, some of it didn't add up after the fact. Um, but a nice guy, a very nice guy, you know, was, he was the kind of guy that could walk into pretty much any room anywhere in the world and immediately start talking to people and kind of fit in. Look, he looked like somebody, man. Like I say, he looked like a, uh, looked like Ricky Ricardo. Lee Barstow. He's also shown the door. Lee Barstow. Lee was, um, by that time, I think that Lee was in charge of marketing. Um, best of my recollection, I can picture Lee's face, but I think he was in marketing. What about your old pal, Chris Burt? Who? Ed, De, Ed DeLong. Oh, Ed, Ed DeLange. Okay. Uh, Ed DeLange was, um, commercial, no, uh, international television. And he, he was another slick guy. He, he came with Osbear. Um, real smart kid, young guy, um, extremely bright. I thought he was pretty competent and, and extremely bright, but I also look at that. There was a guy probably not on this list, uh, Wayne Duband, nope. who really was the, in, in my estimation really helped us a lot with international television and international stuff. And Wayne Duban was the one that brokered the deal with, uh, Simon Cowell and his partner to do the slam jam albums in the UK. Uh, and Wayne was in there, but Wayne wasn't really, Wayne was kind of ostracized from that group and kind of operated around it and actually got things done. But Ed Delange was, was a, was an international TV guy. I'm pretty sure. What's the hold up? Do you need me to spell it out for you? It's G E I C O.com. That's where you save money geico.com and last but certainly not least what about bob mitchell what did old bob do not a clue okay does it say no just says no, they're front I'm office sure, people I'm, i don't know bob mitchell it's also making the news here that jj Dillon is leaving and here's what dave wrote all those positions are expected to be filled shortly while the dj the jj Dillon position isn't going to be filled Dillon's duties will be divvied up with linda mcmahon handling contract negotiations with talent, Jerry Briscoe and Jim Ross working as office liaisons with talent, Ross handling personal appearances and Pritchard handling the rest of talent coordination. Is he close? Uh, Linda and I handled the contracts. Jr. handled the wrestling operations as far as booking the events, the live events and, um, working with live events and Ed Cohen and those folks. How much did your workload change with uh, JJ gone and all these added? And are those birds going to fly in your house and eat your Jesus, fucking face? Jesus, is it brutal or what? 
I mean, it sounds like you're in the rainforest cafe between you eating and the bird noises. Holy cow. It's like they're, it's like they're in here, but I'm sorry if I can't do anything about the birds, man. No, they, they oh. probably here to protest raw. Probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. Fuck you. We get it. Watch again this week. Shut we'll try something. Shut birds up. <laughs> they get louder. They hear me. Um, <laughs> Let the storyline play this out, birds. Bad movie, man. Holy cow. Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, we're talking about how your workload changed with JJ gone and the birds back. Uh, was, yeah. Um, good Lord, man. Uh, it, they changed drastically because I'd gone from pretty much just doing creative and not coming into the office ever to having to be in the office every day. And it was ugly. It was, you know, I took over the, the, the role of talent relations, which I've never really been fond of. So let's also mention that the redone live wire debuts to a 1.1 rating hosted by Jim Cornette and Sonny and had a very interesting appearance from Bruce from Connecticut, uh, over the phone lines, of course, man, I loved live wire. I thought this was a tremendous show way ahead of its time. What'd you think? Um, I don't know, man. It, it was it was a Saturday morning show. Well, think about this: a Saturday morning show that was going to be more sophisticated and more adult adult oriented and controversial. But yet, you're playing to, for the most part, a younger audience. Saturday morning, traditionally. So I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of it. I just um, damn you! I, it was a good show. It figures you'd like it. Yeah. So the push for the buried alive match begins between taker and mankind. How do you remember the idea of the buried alive gimmick coming to be? Um, you know, (laughs) what if, what if we buried someone alive? That that's kind of how it starts sometimes. And then you start thinking about, well, can you actually do that and, and different ways to do it? There, the original, original concept was to do a graveyard match so that you were actually in a actual graveyard with a hole dug. And then the object was to put your opponent into the hole in the graveyard. Whoever did, then you scoop some dirt on them. And, and that's the end of that. From there, it became, well, if you're promoting this match, what are you giving the live audience? And do you build a graveyard in the arena? which is kind of where, you know, we, we hit that happy medium of, of doing the grave site in the arena, but the original, original concept was a graveyard match. And how does it grow into being this magic trick? Do you guys know someone in quote unquote magic who helps say, Hey, what if, or how does that come to be? Well, you present, you present the issue of what you want to see and what you want to do. And then they create how you can actually see that. So it's giving someone a concept and and saying, this is what we'd like to do. Can you make that happen? And they either say yes or no. In this case, they said yes. So help me understand how you sit down and pitch the real life Mick Foley and Mark Calloway on what if, (laughs) 
Um, I know Mark thought we were crazy, um, but it was like, okay. Because, again, I think the graveyard match kind of came from from talking to everyone involved and saying, hey, what if we could do this? And everyone was on board. Then you start taking, well, we're going to take it to an arena. And we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And thinking of, okay, how does that work? Um, and again, it was just, and I'm not going to give away how we did it, but it was just a, a matter of, mm, man, that's, that's tough. But also the sell was you're going to get a match. So the audience is going to get a match and they're also going to get the buried alive. So they get to be a part of it. So that I think was the, the end, the, the end sell to, to get everybody in and then everybody was on board. Do you own your home? Go to Geico.com. Do you rent your home? Go to Geico.com. Do you have a car? Go to Geico.com. Want to save some money? Go to Geico.com. Um, the push for buried alive is now here where we've got a tombstone shown of undertaker and mankind. And we've got the date of the event and the name on the show. And it's going to be in the raw entrance way coming to the ring for weeks leading up to the show. This is just fucking genius marketing Bruce here. I mean, people still remember that tombstone to this day. It had to be cumbersome moving that big, heavy, some bitch around by God. Dude, it was, um, cause it's legit. I've a thousand seen it. pounds. Yeah. It was legit granite. Um, uh, it was extremely expensive cause it was a legit gravestone and yeah, it was a pain in the ass to move and they're somewhat fragile as well. But you got it done. And even though as you're touring, I mean, every show you're at this tombstone is at, it's a constant reminder of the pardon the pun grave circumstances to an event like this. You just walk past the tombstone. That's got the date and they're, I mean, really kudos who deserves the beautifully done. Who deserves the props for that marketing? Um, you know, that was. I mean, I, I guess us, that was just something that we did. And it was a beautiful reminder, uh, every week of what's going to happen. And you see that in the, just the imagery of it is magnificent to go, man, this is, this is going to be cool. What the hell are they going to do? Um, our art folks came up with, with a nice little rendition of it. And then, the the tombstone people took it from there. They did a fantastic job with it. And just the idea that you have it at every raw in the aisleway or by the entrance set, just fantastic stuff. This is an interesting note though. Uh, and, and I think it's the first time ever think about that ever that the WWF world champion will not be wrestling on the pay-per-view. This is from the observer. The thinking behind Michael's not wrestling on the show is that he's been in the main event on every pay-per-view since WrestleMania. And they figured it's try it's time to try a show with someone else on top. Michael's will almost surely be on the show in some fashion, but it won't be in a match. How did you guys arrive to this decision? Um, I don't know that we did consciously. I think that it was the attraction in and of itself was great enough that you could say, okay, this is the attraction. And do you need the champion on it? I think that it's a, 
you know, you, you get stuck in, well, that's the way we always did it. It's just what we did. But then you ask the question, why? You know, why do you have to do it that way? So it, it there was no logical answer and real reason why you had to do it. So let's try doing it without the champion, without having to have that title defense, because the issue with Undertaker and Mankind was big enough on its own that I think that it it was fine in that slot. Look, we're all adults here, and some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy Nicotine is a company that was created to help nicotine users find a cleaner option and feel better about the ways they consume nicotine. Their latest product is Slim Nicotine Pouches, which contain pure synthetic nicotine and provide the same satisfaction that nicotine users expect without any tobacco at all. Lucy Slim Pouches use the newest technology for synthesizing pure nicotine in the lab, none of the tobacco, and all of the nicotine satisfaction. Lucy Slim Pouches include both coconut oil and gum base to provide a soft, fluffy texture that enhances the flavor and doesn't dry out your mouth. They come in three strengths, four, eight, and 12 milligrams. And they have three exclusive and delicious flavors, spearmint, mango, and cool cider. This has been a game changer for some folks in my life who have found now a cleaner way to get their nicotine fix. Prior to this, man, everything in their life was determined by, well, you know, we had to figure out whose car we were taking, what restaurants we could go to, what hotels we would stay at. Not anymore. Slim nicotine pouches have been a game changer. It's 2021. Don't compromise when you're choosing your nicotine products. Go with the newest tobacco-free options from Lucy. Something to wrestle with listeners. Go to lucy.co and use promo code wrestle to get 20% off your order of Lucy Slim Pouches or any other Lucy products. That's lucy.co and use the promo code wrestle at checkout. Also, I have to give this disclaimer warning. This product contains non-tobacco nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code wrestle. Let's keep it going here. Um, business is down and we've talked about that before. Here's another quote from the observer, a combination of the loss of television syndication in the New York market and a weak lineup wound up with the lowest paid attendance for a pro wrestling show in Madison square garden in more than 40 years and perhaps ever. According to WWF figures, the September 29th show drew 6,747 fans paying $146,437. Bruce, an MSG gate, 146. You were losing money just turning the lights on, were you not? Yeah, you're probably losing money just putting it on sale at that point. Yeah. Yeah, not great. So when that happens, I mean, Again, I'm not trying to dunk on Shawn Michaels. I think you could argue the greatest wrestler of all time. Most people have him at one a or one B, but when you see that that's where business is, it's natural to think maybe we need to try something else on top, right? I don't know if it was even just on top. I think in general, overall, I think that there was, you know, people losing interest in, in that product and what we were doing. So, cause they weren't coming out in our biggest market in our backyard. So you have to ask yourself, okay. And it's not just at the top. It's everywhere. I uh, also want to mention the, um, the last show that you guys ran at the garden 
drew 11,314 fans for a $239,000 gate. That was Sean versus gold dust. This show here, which takes a dip has the same two guys It's Sean and taker on one side, mankind and gold dust on the other. So it feels like if anything, you've piled more talent into this main event, more star power, but man, it's just missing, which does make me think this is why you guys were willing to take more chances with the whole fake razor and fake diesel and turning Jim Ross heel. And let's do a buried alive match. We're, we're doing the ECW invasion angle. We're more receptive to new ideas, right? Absolutely. And, and you're looking at, all right, this doesn't work. You know, let's try something else and see what will. So it's, I don't mean to beat this, uh, like a dead horse here, but it's been said a lot that Vince sort of viewed the garden as maybe the measuring stick of the WWE, meaning if it works at the garden, it'll work everywhere else. What was his reaction to the lowest MSG? number ever for WWE. Not happy. I mean, that's his reaction. Yeah. Not happy about it. Looking at it going, okay. Um, this can't happen again. Any, um, I mean, does he have a meeting saying we got to come up with something different? Here's the line in the sand, or is it just in passing? Hey, that's not good. Let's fix it. I mean, it feels like there's more. No, I think everybody knows it's not good. You can, you can see it. It's, you don't have to say, Hey, that's not good. You're looking at it. You're there, you're in it. So you're looking at, okay, everybody recognizes that. Otherwise it'd be idiots. And you're looking at it going, all right, we need to fix this and not let it happen again. Whether you own or rent Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Go to Geico.com today. The next day on raw, Steve Austin pins Jake Roberts after Jerry Lawler interferes and spits alcohol in Jake Roberts face. Um, Savia Vega is going to save Brett or save Jake from a beatdown uh, from both Austin and Lawler. And it's announced that Austin is going to be taken on Vega again at buried alive. The Godwins are going to squat squash the grim twins. And it's announced that Owen and Davey will be defending their tag straps against the smoking guns at buried alive. Two things here, Bruce, tell me about the grim twins, Jason and Jared, also known as the Harris brothers, Ron and Don and why they never really clicked with the WWF, do you think? Well, I, I don't know necessarily they clicked anywhere. I mean, tell me anywhere where they were on top and they drew. Um, they were interesting looking characters, big, you know, big, nasty looking guys. And they happened to be twins, which was good. And frankly, you couldn't ask for you couldn't ask for two nicer guys and more dependable guys than Ron and Don Harris, which makes you want to do and try more with them. But I just don't know. I think it was just kind of that, that, that it thing. They, they weren't great promos. Their work was okay. They looked like they were beating the shit out of you. Um, but I don't know if they had that second and third gear. And I'm not sure that uh, people really identified with them, but Again, you go back to the human being a lot of times, which you're guilty of, and you want to do more for the human being because that human being is a quality person. Mr. Perfect and Hunter Hearst Helmsley are continuing their feud and it's announced by Mr. Perfect that he's going to accept Helmsley's challenge and he'll be ready to go in a few weeks. Um, what do you remember the original payoff for this being? We know eventually Mr. Perfect's going to turn heel. Reveal that he joins Hunter. We'll talk about that in a moment, I'm sure. But more importantly, 
he's not long for this world. He's off to WCW. You know, I, I, I do not even remember. <laughs> I, I don't recall what the hell the original was with that. I know that, you know, during that time, that was when Kurt shortly after got upset over his Lloyd's of London deal and was gone. But, uh, I think that probably derailed more than anything. I mean, do you think he was going to actually return to wrestling? I mean, was it all going to be a swerve? I guess is what I'm trying to drill into. Or did you think we was were going to be a swerve him returning to in-ring action? Did we think at some point he would actually get back in the ring or was this all just creative to turn him heel? And that was as far as we went. No, that he told us he was able to come back. Okay. Got it. And he passed, you know, he passed all the, the physical tests and, and everything else. And like he told us he was ready to come back and then wasn't, you know, it was like, no, I can't come back. And then, well, wait a minute. You said you could, you said you couldn't. And then it just was a, a whole, whole ordeal. And then finally he went on to WCW to go back in the ring. Were you having conversations with him or was he having any conversations with somebody else about his whole Lloyd's of London stuff? The, as far as, is that he told us that that, that was over and that he was cleared to go. Okay. That's my only conversation I ever had with him. So Savio Vega is going to uh, beat razor number two and after diesel interferes, causing a DQ and gorilla and Jim Ross get into it during the match. And it's a great back and forth between them both. I thought Jim just did an excellent job here as a heel. And I'm sure you have, uh, opinions on that or a theory on that. Cause he is a heel. I knew you were going to say that. Well, he is. I'm a heel. Okay. He'll recognize his heel. Oh, and real He's recognizes heel. real. I like that. He'll recognize his heel. Sounds like a t-shirt over at box Vader and Cornette are going to beat Sean and Jose Lothario. When Vader pins Sean was the plan at this point for Vader to get or Vader to defeat Sid buried alive with the number one contenders match. And that got changed later because having Vader pin Sean here and then not get the title match at survivor series doesn't make much sense. Right. I think it was just another, you know, it was another notch in that belt of not having chemistry. You know, you're still, you went through with that, but then I think that match was kind of like, that's the cherry on top. Yeah. Yeah. So there's talk of uh, Dan Crawford or Crawford, however you want to say it, AKA Phil LaFon and Doug Furness coming in to be opponents for Owen and Davey boy. We know these guys can go, um, you've probably seen them do some stuff in stampede, but certainly over in Japan, who was, who was biggest on furnace and the fawn? Do you recall? Like who was pushing for them to come in? Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman really wanted to bring them into ECW and JR was a big all Japan, you know, Oh my God, these guys. And look, you know, he loved, uh, Doug furnace from where to go, Tennessee. Yep. You know, college, you know, college athlete, fresh, fresh. And, um, Phil LaFon, they had their, their reputation from all Japan. And that was part of, okay, you know what? Yeah, man, we'll use them and help, uh, LaFon get his green card or whatever. And Paulie, you can use them for a while. Um, 
I don't know. It's terrible to say. I, I wasn't really sold on him. I just didn't see it because neither one of the guys could cut a promo. And their work was okay, I guess, in, in that in that pond. But when they came over, I just I just didn't see it. I just didn't think that they they clicked and there was no identity for people to relate to them. You had a, a French guy and a southern boy from Tennessee. And one of them's a, a you know, legit, just badass, crazy strong, <laughs> hell of a stun. The other one's a smooth. Um, I don't know. It just didn't click for me. So Terry Gordy's brought in as a tryout against Savio Vega, and it goes well enough that he's going to get the executioner role, and that's going to be brought to life here. What was it about Gordy that made him a good fit here? And what did you think of him as a performer at this point here in October of 96? Man, again, I go back to, we are guilty of sometimes doing things, you know, for the wrong reasons. And Bam Bam was in no shape and, and Terry should not have been in the ring at that time. Terry came in, he did okay, but boy, I tell you what, if you're not doing okay in the ring with Savio Vega, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And everyone loved Terry so much that we wanted so badly to give him an opportunity to, you know, get his life back on track. And, you know, Bam Bam had already done, you know, damn near died with an OD and, things of that nature. And, and that part was sad. And I think that I know I can speak for me personally. I wanted to do whatever I could for Terry Gordy. Michael Hayes wanted to do whatever he could do for Terry Gordy. Jim Ross wanted to do whatever he could do for Terry Gordy. Cornette, you know, cycle. Vince had no, um, Vince didn't have a good memory of Terry Gordy from when he was with the Freebirds in their first run. Didn't really know Terry Gordy the way that we all knew Terry Gordy. And, but the fact that we all were like, man, if we're ever going to do a good deed, this is a guy to do it for. Let's help Bam Bam. And I don't know that that, you know, I, I don't know that was a, the right decision to make. And Bam Bam at that point was a, a shell of Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Hey, y'all, did you go to Geico.com yet? What's the holdup? You got a house, you got a car, you need to bundle them. You need to save. It's Geico.com. You said there, if you're ever going to do a good deed, is that what you viewed it at as hiring him was, was doing a good deed? Yes. Um, I never got to, boy, I don't mean for this to be ugly or disrespectful at all. I never got to meet Mr. Gordy, but we've heard a lot of people say that after he had his incident on the plane, that he was never quite the same mentally. Did they mean from a timing and psychology standpoint in the ring or just cognitive function? When you had a conversation with him, could you tell he's had some trauma? It was all the above. That's a shame. It, 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 I mean, man, it made you want to cry sometimes. Yeah. Because 
I knew Terry Gordy in his prime. Right. When, holy shit, man, nobody could touch him in the ring. And he was almost childlike in his innocence and in the goodness in him. That he was just a naturally, people were drawn to him because he was genuinely nice and just a good old dude, man. He was, I think, was Knoxville or wherever the hell he was from. He was just, he was just a good old boy, and could go, and man, he could hang with anybody in the ring. Then. To see him after that, it was it was sad for those of us that knew him, and you just wanted to try and get that spark back. I think the feeling was, man, well, let's get him back. We'll make sure he's around people that you know can look after him and as best we can, and maybe being on the road and be, being back involved in something, we'll we'll get that spark back. Somebody who's not coming back, at least right now, Jim Neidhart, he's leaving. He'd been known as who, um, why didn't it work, work out with the big rhino here in 96, the, the big bastard there. <laughs> well, at least one Jim Neidhart leaving this time. Who, who? Yeah. No, but who? Yes. Who? 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 Uh, the October 7th raw, there's an interesting line that Jesse James says regarding Jarrett. He says, when he comes back, he can carry my bags. Just kind of a fun line. And then Bret Hart's contract is a focus at the time of Vince McMahon's. And of course it's reported on in the observer that WCW had made a last minute play at him. Eric Bischoff has denied this up and down, but Brett even mentions it in his book. Do you remember how much of Vince's time was spent trying to secure Brett? I just want to add context here. Every time you turn around, someone is leaving for WCW, uh, whether it's, you know, some of the, the, the heyday stars of the eighties, like the former big boss man or Jake, the snake or hacksaw Jim Duggan or the honky tonk man or the nasty boys or your top stars like Hulk Hogan and the macho man, or you're talking heads like Bobby Heenan and mean Gene, but now even part of this new generation. So Waltman's over there and Hall's over there and Nash is over there. And now the leader of the new generation's contract is up and it feels like the old billionaires come a knocking. Is this the one where Vince was sort of drawing his line in the sand saying, damn it. They can't take Brett too. I think that was the general feeling. Yes. I, I think that in some, in some regards, um, with the exception of, uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, I, I think that you could categorize a lot of those as, okay, they really didn't mean anything anyway at the time. Uh, Hall and Nash were the first ones to go and mean something. And I think Brett would have meant a lot, especially at that time. I want to mention, um, the cauliflower alley club running a banquet here in early October. It's not in Vegas. Like it is these days, this time it's in New Jersey. And this is the first one that was ever attended by Vince McMahon and Meltzer would write. So it was heavily WWF oriented quote. There's an irony 
in that because for years, the WWF and CAC had nothing to do with one another. In fact, in 91, when CAC ran its banquet in LA, which by coincidence was the day before WrestleMania at the sports arena, there wasn't one WWF person at the banquet and those who wanted to go were discouraged or swerved from doing so, but times change. McMahon was also there to accept an award for his late father, uh, while also awarded in the CAC hall of fame, uh, were any lists, a whole bunch of folks, including the former Mr. Perfect, Jimmy Snuka, Afa, killer Kowalski, Dominic Danucci, and even Sonny. And there's a lot of folks in attendance, including yourself and your brother, Pat Patterson, Shane McMahon, Luthez. What do you remember about the CAC in 96 and all of a sudden the WWF's here, man. Oh, I would give that nod to Pat Patterson. Um, and probably JJ, but more so, more so, uh, Pat Patterson than anyone. Pat, uh, loved the cauliflower alley club as, as we all did and do, um, they'd never done an East coast cauliflower alley club, uh, convention. This was going to be the first one. And Pat really wanted Vince to experience that. So, he, he stayed on Vince about, you know, this would be a great thing to go to. This would, this is something you should go and you should see some of the old timers and stuff. And, you know, contrary to popular belief, Vince is very shy. And had he known that he was being honored, I don't know that he would have shown up. Well, it was his dad. I know, but they did something for him too. Oh, okay. Okay. And that was, you know, one of the things they wanted, you know, they wanted Vince. And I think if Vince had known that, you know, he, he probably would have done it for his dad. Uh, yes. But had he known that, uh, Hey, they were going to do something for him as well and make a big deal out of it. I, I don't know that he would have been as, um, I don't think he, he would have shown. I think he probably would have found an excuse to back out, but it was a guy. It was a great day, great night, and why does he shy a, from any sort of acknowledgement like that? It seems like he runs from any sort of praise like that publicly. I think that he wants the company to have the praise, and he wants um, the business to have the praise, not himself. It's like, hey, you know, we couldn't have done it without the talent, without everybody else, and tries to shy away from the one man show thing, and that's just him. He's just. I mean, in reality, he's, he's pretty shy. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, uh, Albano. I ask because this is the report reports where it was largely uneventful other than the McMahon appearance. Although there were several complaints regarding Albano's behavior, some saying that Lou Albano ruined the entire evening. The Conan O'Brien show was there trying to make fun of the festivities, asking the wrestlers questions about politics. We'll start backwards. Do you remember Conan's people being there or Conan? Do you remember Conan's? No, okay. not at all. What about Albano? Was he just drunk and belligerent? Yes. Yeah. Lou was Lou. And Lou tried to, in between every speech, get in and have comments and just making really inappropriate comments. And I think that a big part of the the folks from the Cauliflower Alley Club were were looking to have WWE more involved with them. And this was you know, the attempt to show Vince and to put on their, their best 
performance, if you will, and say, you know, here's who we are. And I don't think that Lou helped that a lot. So help me understand, uh, this next thing. Cause I didn't remember this back then. You guys start to get aggressive when it comes to the advertising game on Monday night. This is from the observer. The WWF brought two commercials in most of the country. The first starting at eight 56 telling viewers to make the switch to raw and also for the pay-per-view and then a second commercial at about nine 45, trying to get them to switch to the final quarter hour. The buried alive pay-per-view commercials were awesome. We'll talk about those commercials in a minute, but what do you remember about by uh, running ads inside of nitro? This is fucking genius. Yeah, but I think we always were. I think, and if, and if we weren't, maybe that's where we started and continued to do after that. But we, we did no different than they ran ads within our programming as well. I just love that. That's so great. Tell me about the buried alive promos. I'm sure this is something you shoot or you're involved with. Yeah, I did. <laughs> they, you know, the, the vignettes just leading up to that were, uh, just tons and tons of fun, especially with Mick and Paul bear in the pouring rain and everybody thinking we we've, we've got to call this shoot. It's pouring down rain and I'm looking around in the pouring rain going, this is awesome. This is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you know, it's midnight. You're in a, in a cemetery in didn't need smoke machines, man. We had the fog rolling in the rain pouring down. I mean, at times we had to wait for the fog so, <laughs> you know, we could actually see what the hell we were doing. Um, Paul, I think thought that it was a, a total rib on him throughout the whole thing. I had to buy him a new suit because we ruined the suit that he was in. And it was some of the greatest shit I think we've ever done. I loved lightning, it. Lightning, wind, rain, people slipping and taking bumps in the mud and shit. It was it was fucking great. Foley was in his element. I was in my element. Yeah, Foley was in his element. It was tremendous. Remember how easy it was in your twenties? You had so much energy, you could get away with the late night drive-throughs. You could even pinch a uh, trouser tent at a moment's notice. Well, that's because you had plenty of testosterone, and it's time to get it back. You could get testosterone injections, but that involves awkward doctor visits, expensive medical bills, and the worst part, once you opt for artificial testosterone, you will suppress your body's ability to naturally produce it even more. But isn't that the problem in the first place? Before considering that pharmaceutical option, there are ways you can naturally raise your testosterone. And one of the easiest ways is by using legacy test stack from legacy sports nutrition. Test X nine has nine key ingredients clinically proven to support natural testosterone production and T assist is designed to supercharge T boosting effects with added anti-estrogen compounds. Nick Aldis, the founder of legacy sports nutrition has been blown away by the feedback that customers have sent in after using the ultimate test stack guys are feeling stronger in the gym. They have more energy and guys in their late thirties have reported morning wood for the first time in years. One even reported becoming a father after four years of trying, no matter what you do, if you're a guy having optimum testosterone levels is the key to looking, feeling and performing better. Try the ultimate test stack today, and they're confident you'll love the results. 
just go to LegacySups.com. That's LegacySups.com, L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com. And the promo code is Wrestle, and you'll save 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySups.com. That's L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com, LegacySubs.com, and the promo code is WRESTLE to save 10% off your entire order. And we thank LegacySubs.com for sponsoring today's podcast. On Livewire, we see the debut of the Ultra Heel Vic Venom and the continuation of the Jim Ross, Vince McMahon storyline. What do you think of Vince Russo as an on-screen character here on Livewire? This is really where... You know, he starts to become a television performer and a television character. He's a regular on Livewire as Vic Venom, who we know is also a name we'll see a lot in the WWF magazine and in the Raw magazine. What did you think of Vic Venom? I thought it was a joke and horrible. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and the the best thing about it was was Vince put him on, and then Russo did everything that Russo complained about and was the stereotypical heel manager wannabe. And um, of course, Vince McMahon called me to tell Russo Vince's thoughts, and of course, it all turned back on me. And I'm not I'm not going to say that I didn't share the exact same view. Um, but it was, oh, well, this is what Bruce thinks. And Bruce is poisoning the well. Mm. No, that's what the well thought. Let me spell it for you. G E I C O.com. That's Geico.com. So why do we keep doing it? We didn't do it that long. He didn't last on there that long at all. A few weeks. Okay. Well, one of the best things that everybody remembers from Livewire is when Paul Heyman called up as Bruce from Connecticut, which is kind of fun. They will never get it. So you like, I'm sure you guys discussed that he was going to call in ahead of time. He wouldn't have, you know, gone on his own and done that. I get that. But did you know he was, did you know he was going to call? Did you know he was going to call himself Bruce from Connecticut? Cause that's pretty funny. I probably did. I will be Bruce from Connecticut. That will be the cue. They will know it is me. Don't let them know. Okay, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> it will be Bruce from Connecticut. So what do you think? Well, I was happy. It was, again, promotion for for ECW. Get people talking and um, get people talking about it, that little promotion there in Philadelphia. Well, I thought it was I, fun as a kid. Again, to, to those who got it, got it. To you know, for those six people that got, it, you know, got it. Uh, nobody else. I think it was just okay. This is interesting. Again, when you're you're broadcasting to the world, and then you're playing to that. That was playing to a very small audience. Up let's, to let's also mention that the October fifth Monday Night Raw is a special show. Or it's not a Monday Night Raw. It's a special show in Calgary. A lot of the talent are going to donate their pay uh, to go towards disease research in the honor of Matthew Hart, who had died from a flesh-eating disease. Oh, also in the show is Teddy Hart, who's 16 at the time, Harry Smith, who's 10, TJ Wilson, who's 16. You know, this next generation of the Hearts are here. It's a big deal 
to Brett and the entire family. What do you remember about this special show in Calgary? I just remember it was heartbreaking. Um, that's, uh, Teddy's brother. Um, and Georgia's, I believe it's Georgia's son, right? I didn't know it was Teddy's brother who passed away. I believe you. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe, if I, but if it wasn't, I know Teddy and him were very close, but it was, it was horrible time for the hearts. And, you know, that family had dealt with so much tragedy just in general through the years, as you can imagine. I think that, that this one hit them all pretty hard because Matt was so young and, and it happened pretty fast and it was, it just was tragic. It was just a very, very sad moment. And I, there was no one that didn't want to do the show and help, help out however they could. It's probably also another way to show Brett, Hey, we're all a big family here. Well, we are, but th- this was all about, you know, helping out helping out where they needed to help. So you filmed boy meets world on October 13th at a house show in Anaheim with Vader and Jake Roberts, also Barry Windham and Justin Bradshaw. Talk us through the deal of how that came together. And what you remember about filming the show, Mark Blutman, who is one of the creators and executive producers and, and, uh, boy meets world creator. And also went on to do girl meets world later on. Uh, Mark's big fan, great guy, and had contacted us about being able to shoot some match footage of Vader uh, for the show they were doing. I think it was 16 count Candles and 400 Pound Men was the name of the episode. So they wanted to do it, and uh, I'm like, well, you know, yeah, you guys should be able to, we'll figure out a way for you guys to film um, the match, but then it became, well, we want to film Corey and Vader's son on the show in the film, um, spot during the match. Now it became a little more complicated and all that, but we're thinking how complicated can it be? Cause we do shit in one take all the time. Right. Um, Hollywood does it. So it was, it was just a little crazy. And then they were looking to get commentary and, have, I think I was the ring announcer and play-by-play guy on that, uh, doing it all. And they wanted, I said, Hey, would you do it as brother love? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And went out and did it. Uh, his brother love had some fun with it. Got in and got DDT by Jake and had the snake put down my pants. And it was a lot of fun. The snake down your pants, snake down the pants. The old snake down the pants spizzot. Okay. Yeah. Hey, go to com. Pass it on. So then the go home, uh, raw for the pay-per-view has Jake Roberts beating Jerry Lawler in 39 seconds. Jake comes out acting drunk, but it's all the ruse you see. And he DDTs Lawler for the win. You see, and then we get your old boy, Freddie Joe Floyd, AKA our beloved Tracy Smothers getting a win over triple H it's by count out because Mr. Perfect comes out and takes away Hunter's female valet again, but still a win's a win. And old Tracy beat triple H. How about that? Freddie Joe beat triple H. Oh yeah. Freddie Joe Floyd by God. Oh yeah. Well, Jack's, oh, what was it? 
Oh, the fuck is Jack Briscoe's real name? I'll look it up right now. So, I, so but the, the thing was, we were, we were in a production meeting and was like, hey, how about, because uh, Gerald's name was Floyd. It's Floyd Gerald Briscoe. He's Freddie Joe Briscoe, Jack Briscoe's real name. Jack is Freddie Joe Briscoe. So that, yeah. So, but somebody was busting Jerry's chops on his Delta card and then it said Floyd Gerald Briscoe. And Jerry says, yeah, well, Jack's real name is Freddie Joe. He's like, perfect. Freddie Joe Floyd. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. We needed that. It was great. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. So Farouk is going to beat Alex Porto. JR has another great shot at Vincent man on commentary talking about Farouk's helmet, how embarrassing it is. And quote is Vince McMahon truly a marketing genius. JR was eating this shit up. You could just tell, uh, Sean and Steve Austin main event that raw, which ends in a DQ, uh, when Vader attacks Sean, but man, what a tip of the cap to the future. This is Sean and Austin on top. Now, here we are. Finally, it's time to talk about the pay-per-view Indianapolis, Indiana, 9,649 fans are in the building. 8,238 have paid a gate of over $135,000. Uh, there's some last minute changes to the card due to injuries. Of course, those old famous words card subject to change. Savio Vega got himself hurt in Puerto Rico. Farouk has pulled his hamstring. Savio is just announced as being hurt, but Farouk is shown being attacked by Ahmed to explain his absence. Let's get into it with Savio on the shelf. Austin needs an opponent. So who do we pick Hunter Hearst Helmsley and man, they get 15 and a half minutes and Austin has got a face reaction in this Indianapolis crowd, even though he's the heel they're with him after this Austin three sixteen thing and Meltzer would write Austin seems to be getting over as a face as the swearing, flipping off character. Let's take a time out right there. When did you know, Hey man, even though he thinks he's a baby face. He, the bastard is going to be a heel. No, you mean they think he's a heel, but he's going to be a baby. Face. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know what you meant. That's not what you said. God damn it. Okay, cool. Um, but, uh, the, I tell you the moment I knew is as soon as Austin came back in that first match with Brett after Steve had been gone and Steve cut all those promos and the chain link fence and the dogs barking and all that classic heel promos every bit of it. But it was cool. Steve was so fucking cool and Luke about it all. And when he came out with Brett, and Brett was kind of starting to do the whiny promos. Woe is me. And the audience, man, first time Steve came back was like, yeah, that's my guy. He don't give a shit. And, you know, we, we fought that trend, but the audience loved him. So fun to look back at. By the way, the match is pretty damn good. It gets three and a quarter stars. Meltzer would say, uh, Austin then came to the aisle and jumped Helmsley. Helmsley ended up suplexing Austin to the floor, but Austin came back by monkey flipping Helmsley into the post back in the ring. Austin did a spot where he appeared to crotch himself, then got up unhurt and flipped off the fans and Helmsley and hit the stone cold stunner for the win three and a quarter stars. You know, listen, we, we spend a lot of time talking about stone cold, the promo guy and stone cold flipping people off and chugging beer. And sometimes you'll talk about how he was a mechanic and he could have great matches, but God damn, how important was the stone cold stunner in hindsight, man, that when that thing got over as a finisher, 
it became like the new DDT. It became what Dallas is eventually going to turn into the diamond cutter. This, this stone cold stunner, something else. It was. And I, you know, uh, I want to say Michael Hayes came up with that. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was a variation of the ACE crusher that Johnny ACE did as a finish in Japan. Um, but yes, it was quick hit out of nowhere and the perfect, perfect finish that you can do to anybody, even Donald Trump, even Donald Trump fall is here and well, we could all use a stiff breeze. Come on. You know, the deal. This episode is sponsored by blue chew guys. Confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where blue chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. You'll sign up at BlueChew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And guys, ladies say there's nothing sexier than confidence. Well, Blue Chew can help give you the confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from some extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free and use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is wrestle to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank blue chew for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I want to note too. go back and watch this. The whole show is pretty decent actually, but this match in particular, not only will you see Austin getting a face reaction, but I think this is the first time we saw Steve Austin use the old glass break entrance music. And when you start with that glass break, it's got that swagger and the flipping off and all this stuff. And then you finish with a stunner, dude, this is the formation of something really, really big here. And you're seeing it happen right before your eyes, right? Yeah. And it's always nice when a beautiful plan comes together, but that was again, a lot of people's input, a lot of things. And let's try this. Let's try that. And, and making it all come to life. And then Steve was able to deliver every time. I can't help, but wonder, man, what if Mr. Perfect had stuck around, if he had stuck around the whole Austin perfect thing could have been a lot of fun. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that Kurt's heart was really in it and you know, it wasn't the Mr. Perfect of old, you know, the Mr. Perfect it's some guys have their time. You know, and Perfect had a great time until Kurt got hurt. And coming back from that, I don't know if psychologically or physically, Kurt just was never what he was. And it's, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's, that's in their prime. Holy shit. Unbelievable. I'd pay double to see it. Yeah. So up next, Owen Hart and Davey boy Smith are going to retain the tag titles, beating the smoking guns in nine minutes and 17 seconds. They're doing a storyline of Billy still having the hots for Sonny, and who can blame him. 
uh, and he wants to get Sonny back, but Bart doesn't seem to care. So Bart's pretty much the face here. Billy's still trying to play the heel and you've got two teams who on paper should have a very good match, but they had an average match. According to Dave Meltzer, uh, he gave it two stars. Uh, he says the finish saw the guns go for the sidewinder slam on heart. It's set up, but Billy takes forever to get to the top rope. And as he comes off the top, Smith is behind Bart pulls him out of the way. So Billy just winds up leg dropping canvas. And then Owen pins Billy after a spinning heel kick, two stars. So we're building to a smoking guns turn here, but this is two matches in a row here on the pay-per-view where it's heel versus heel. I know you said you guys were willing to try new things earlier, but this feels like a pretty clear departure. Historically heel versus heel matches were kind of rare. It was traditionally baby face and heel. It feels like some of that stuff we're just throwing out the window and trying new things. Well, we are. And there was a story involved in that more so about the guns splitting up. And, and that was more the story of the match than anything else. And, but at the same time, it was kind of, yeah, I, there wasn't chemistry there. There just wasn't chemistry there for whatever reason. Everybody was off. It was, it was just oil and water in a lot of respects with those two teams. Why don't you think it clicked? What was missing? Um, is it just chemistry and sometimes it's just not there? Really? I think it was just chemistry, but sometimes man, Davy boy, look, Owen, Owen could work with a broom and have chemistry, but, and, but Davy sometimes, man, Davy, a lot of times needed the right opponent. And I'm not sure that the guns as big as they were and lanky and the way they worked, weren't the right opponent. I think for Davy and just, yeah, just not a lot of chemistry there. Let's jump back to it. Uh, Meltzer would write the Ross McMahon storyline continued in the first two matches. Ross came out to a big pop as the pay-per-view show began with McMahon and Lawler at the announcing table. However, they did a gimmick where Ross's headset and mic continued to malfunction. Ross continued to blame it on a practical joke by McMahon while McMahon claimed that Ross was the technical advisor on the show. The two did their storyline with McMahon coming off strongly as the face and Ross playing a stronger heel role than in the past, trying to get his character more into the old fuddy duddy Oklahoma hick role as they made his references to Will Rogers and being taken to the woodshed and Ross complained about Sonny not wearing enough clothes. After the second match, Ross stormed off complaining about the headset and mic got in the ring and did an interview taking credit for bringing Bret Hart back and left. He was seen twice more during the show. Once talking to Mr. Perfect, who acted as if he and Ross were friends as he appeared to be reverting to a heel role in some ways during the Mark Miro gold dust match that he ended up getting involved in the other time. He basically took over a doc Hendricks interview with Sid and tried to do what appeared to be a Howard Cosell gimmick, making fun of the softball questions. Hendrick was going to ask, uh, Sid, this is fun stuff. What do you remember about this the stomping off and the headset and the taking over the Sid interview? I feel like Jr. was having a blast with this. I think Jr. was having a blast. You know, first of all, I think it was Jim being Jim and I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that that was Jim being able to express probably the things that Jim was feeling deep down inside at night that just don't talk about parties. 
it was his way to subtly get and to her shot fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real funny. Ha ha. Somebody write that for you. That kind of shit that he was feeling inside. And again, Jim is a natural heel. And I mean that in the best of ways, folks. I'm a natural heel. I love it. Jim loves it. Do you remember who came up with the idea of fucking around with the equipment? Cause that's genius. Oh God. I think that was just something probably, I have no idea who specifically, but that was probably different shit that we could do to him. Yes. It's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, next up, we get Mark Marrow pinning Goldust to retain the IC title in 11 minutes and 38 seconds. Meltzer would say Marrow did a lot of good moves in this match, but the two didn't work together as well as you'd think. Gold dust looked worse than usual. Marrow did a liger dive, flip plancha, and injured his left knee legitimately on the landing. At eight minutes, Goldust got on the house mic and threatened to slip the tongue to everyone in the audience. Marrow did a move where he was on the top rope facing the ring and then jumped out in reverse positions like a gymnast on the balance beam and then did a moonsault block. The ref was out of it and perfect left the broadcast position uh, to apparently referee. Helmsley then came out. Goldust went to attack perfect from behind, but perfect decked him. The officials then separated Helmsley and perfect in the ring and Marrow used a blockbuster suplex and shooting star press for the pin. So two and three quarter stars here. Boy, Meltzer just was not kind to Goldust at all. You watched this match back for the first time in 25 years. what did you think of Marrow and Goldust here? I thought that cold dust probably got more out of marrow than I think that anybody else had up until this point. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, but I don't I think it was think, that bad either, but I don't think I was necessarily emotionally invested. Does that make sense? Right. Like, I didn't really that, care. That actually kind of paints it perfectly because it's like, yeah, okay. But I didn't really care. That's the point. And it was, it was gold dust out there struggling to get through the match and doing a good job of it, but just takes two to tango. Yes, it does. Hey, did you go to geico.com yet? Next up, uh, we've got uh, Sid and Vader. They're going to go eight minutes here. Sid gets the win. Sean Michaels is on commentary. Uh, before the match, he blows his nose on Jim Cornette's handkerchief in the ring. Meltzer will say Sid was awful. Although the match was probably better than you'd expect, given their participants. At one point, Sid even did a cross body off the top. I want to say that again. At one point, Sid did a cross body off the top. Vader caught him and slammed him. Vader twice had Sid pinned, but picked him up at two. As he went for his Vader bomb finisher, Sid got his knees up. He went for the power bomb, but Cornette distracted him, resulting in. Sid raising the ropes as Cornette was about to come in and getting crotched. The second time Vader gave Sid a low blow. Vader went for the power bomb, but Sid blocked it and eventually got the pin with a choke slam. Michaels got in the ring and shook Sid's hand to lead to their title match. Michaels was having trouble carrying on a conversation while he was doing the commentary, but even he made more sense than the incoherent interview with Sid that followed three quarters of a star. What was up with Sean here? I mean, he wasn't as bad as Sid's promo after, but it didn't feel like, you know, his, it's not the normal Sean. 
Well, no, hang on. It, it was the normal Sean. That's the thing. And it was, you know, Sean doing promos is one thing and being able to do things in bits. Sean in the ring, nobody could touch. Sean wasn't great on play-by-play and doing color. That He just wasn't. He was searching for things, and he was trying to, to search for things in, in his character, what he thought it was. I see. So maybe he's, he's one way at promos. And by the way, nobody ever said he was a terrible promo, but maybe not the best to your point, but this was probably just way out of his comfort zone. You're saying. Yes. And, and I think that people thought, well, with character, the character could do this character could do that. I don't know that Sean could translate the character into the color commentator role. I got you. So let's keep it moving here and, uh, let's talk about what's next, uh, undertaker and mankind. It's our main event. This is the first ever buried alive match. We're finally here. What a set we've got. They've built a dirt mound cemetery behind the ringside seats on the arena floor. So as the participants are coming to the ring that night, there's this huge mound of dirt right there with the tombstone and the whole deal. Meltzer would say, although the ending was goofy, the match itself was really good effort by both mankind took lots of crazy bumps into the guardrail, over the guardrail, onto the floor and on the steps undertaker actually did a great plancha and must be the biggest guy to ever try such a stunt. This was worked similarly to a lot of recent ECW main events with crazy bumps and brawling, but the work itself wasn't as sloppy. Undertaker took a hard chair shot to the face from mankind after no selling an earned shot by Paul bear undertaker threw him on the ring steps a few times and finally hit the tombstone undertaker carried him to the cemetery, but mankind recovered and got the mandible claw on undertaker got out and chokeslam mankind into the dirt for the victory and started burying him afterwards as the ref tried to stop undertaker from throwing dirt on him. He twice threw the ref off the cemetery. Finally, Terry Gordy showed up under a mask with a shovel and hit undertaker with a shovel, pulled mankind out of the grave and put the undertaker into the grave. Several heels began bearing the undertaker until the thunder and lightning in the arena and the carry finish three quarters of a star. So let's sort of set the stage. The finish of the match is not a submission. It's not a one, two, three. We got to get the lifeless body into this hole. That's pre dug in this grave, if you will. And now we've got all this dirt and we're going to start shoveling it. And we're going to bury a guy alive when the executioner shows up, AKA Terry Gordy under a hood, he breaks the shovel over the undertaker, which is a hell of a visual. And now with a little bit of help from all the other heels. The undertaker's buried. This is a scene that we saw maybe a different version of at an old Royal rumble casket match with Yokozuna, where it feels like all the heels are there. Well, that whole routine is happening again, but this time not with a coffin or a casket, but with a grave and the carry finish is once he's dead and gone, wink, wink lightning happens inside the arena and I'll be damned if a purple glove doesn't burst up through the grass. To let us know the undertaker's not dead. Well, no one ever said he's going to be dead. This, well, he's been he's dead for years. Alive. He is alive, the, he, he was. he's the dead man. So he's been dead the entire time we've known him. Okay. But you in particular 
had to love the gimmick, the lightning and the hand. This feels like Bruce Pritchard one Oh one. Yes. Every bit of it. So chat me up. Absolutely loved it. There were so many things about it. You, you, you go back and you look at it and, and again, I, the cemetery match was the original idea, which I did love and I really wanted to do really fucking bad. Uh, still want to, <laughs> you know, um, so that part of it was, was, uh, was what it was, but yes, I, I did. I loved every bit of it. I, I loved the visual of it and the, the holy shitness of it. Um, and the, the unknown and kind of walking that fine line, dangerous part of it. So to that, yes, I, I gotta say, I go back and, and reminisce on this. It was, um, uh, just a great display and great execution. No pun intended. You know, Terry Gordy is the executioner and you know, I, I don't think that anybody in the audience knew that was Terry Gordy. No, you know, um, or ever would have thought because he had lost so much weight and just didn't resemble Terry Gordy at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what, what was there not to like? Chat me up about the finish, not the finish of the match, but the whole segment, the idea that God dang, it feels like you guys thought of everything, you know, the lightning, the hand, the set. I'm so glad you said that. Keep going though. Except fuck. It's going to take forever to bury him. We got to move all this dirt over. Send another guy. Send another. Is that what happened? Yeah, and then you notice that, you know, we, we ended up with front loaders and shit like that in subsequent time. But it, it's a lot faster when someone's not blown up, too. And well, there's there's that. There's that. And for those of you that have ever uh, or ever ordered 15 yards of dirt to come over to your house, you can spread your sand out and level out your land a little bit and your your grass and shit like that, you know how hard it is to shovel. And there was a lot more than 15 yards there. I think it was a total of 45 yards. So think about that for a minute. Um, So yeah, man, it was a lot of people out there to get that dirt in there as well. But the other thing that didn't really didn't didn't come to light till after after the fact was you had that headstone that was weighed a lot a lot a whole lot I mean, this is i want to put in context what we're talking about this is not something that a couple of guys can just go move for you no this is a you're going to need a machine to move this motherfucker yeah you had to place it with a forklift yes okay and it was sitting, but, but you could tump it. Okay. Like, so like a couple of guys could have pushed it over on its side, probably not lift it, but if you had some big, strong motherfuckers, you could probably push it over and add on to that, that it's ground and it was pretty close to the edge. It was, it was probably a foot from the edge. And in that edge, 
is where Taker's hand was coming up. So Taker's coming up through there. And there's not a whole lot of support at that point. And it was scary as shit because when they started it at the end of the night, you start like tearing everything down and somebody just moved and that fucking thing started to come like tip over and almost went into the, into the uh, hole. Oh no. So thank God that didn't happen at any time during the match or during the, the burial, because that would have been a really bad scene. Um, I got would have died. I would have been ugly. Um, but it was, you know, it was pushed back enough, but when they started tearing everything down and they start tearing everything away, the thing's so heavy, you don't think it's going anywhere, but they had torn away everything in front of it now. So you didn't have that, that foot cushion and it was right on the edge where it was supported and somebody just, you know, Oh yeah, man, it's not going anywhere and pushed on it and it started to go. And they're like, Oh shit. And he had to dump it back the other way. So that was one of those that was like, all right, if you notice, you know, on the, the subsequent very live matches, we didn't have, uh, that sturdy of headstones anymore. It was a little scary, but that headstone still exists in the, uh, in the warehouse, I've seen it. In the warehouse, yeah. So very cool. Listen, if you're not going to tell us, then I'm just going to play the clip from that NBC Magic thing. You going to tell us anything? No, I'm not. Why not? Because it's magic. Nobody wants to know that. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. I love. I love magic. I love to go to Chris Angel. Chris Angel has offered to show me things. No, you, I'm like, no. I don't want to know. I don't want, I don't want to sit backstage and see, see how it's done. I want to sit out and enjoy it as a spectator because I love magic. I love the, I love watching someone do it well. And if it's done well, you really shouldn't care. It takes all the fun out of it. Well, if you want to know, go throw it in a Google machine, how to perform the famous buried alive trick. Nobody knows how to perform it. Just, Nobody knows how we did it. Just type it in. How to perform the famous buried alive trick? Don't. Yeah, why? Why would you even? That's. Why would you even say that? That's stupid. Don't do that. That's my favorite. Nobody. Part. Would, nobody knows how to do it like we did it. So. My favorite part of this entire thing is a story that Mick Foley told Kenny McIntosh. Uh, I guess two years ago. Where. This is not the last show, last match of the night. It's just the last match on the pay-per-view. Remember now, this is the in your house days. So in your house, buried alive was only two hours long and what a jam packed pay-per-view this is. I still think it's a good show. Maybe it's just my nostalgia talking, but <laughs> it's over. The Godwins are going to wrestle the new rockers. And then Shawn Michaels is going to wrestle gold dust, but process what we've just seen. A man died. Didn't die. He was buried alive. He was buried alive. So we assume he's dead now. He's not breathing under the dirt, but you maybe he that. is because all of a sudden there was lightning indoors and a hand burst through, but we're not supposed to worry about that 
because now here come the new rockers. Leaf Cassidy. It's unbelievable that that is the way it goes. Uh, but that is how it went. And by the way, the observer readers gave it 63.8% thumbs up, 22.1% thumbs down and 14.1% thumbs in the middle. What say you thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I thought it was thumbs up. Very enjoyable show. Uh, Lopez wants to know, was there a particular kind of dirt? The company used for buried alive matches. Dead dirt. I think what he Heavy meant. Heavy fucking dirt. Where did the dirt come from? Dirt's R us. There you go. Kurt and won. shit. And shit. Yeah. Boy, dirt be us and shit. They're expanding. Uh, Kurt wants to know Goldust wrestled twice this night as he did a dark match against HBK. Was this due to faith in how the Goldust character was going or lack of depth on the roster or both? Was it fake? Because what? Was it faith? Did you, I mean, like he wrestled Mark Marrow, then he wrestled Sean and he's burying the undertaker. Goldust is the MVP of this pay-per-view. Yes, it was, it was more than anything. Yeah. It was confidence in that character and the heat that he carried. Um, everybody wants to know about this and you won't tell me. So the whole trick, um, that's pretty much every question. Everybody wants to know about the magic and you won't tell us you're right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe this is real, but we not only got a handicapper, but we got the best ever. Wayne, give our listeners your background, and uh, I know they call you the king of Vegas sports betting. That's quite a handle. It is. Hey, Conrad, how are you? It's, it's a great honor to be with you, to be on all these wrestling podcasts. been excited about this all week long. It's just great to be here. Uh, I think your audience is my audience. You know, my audience for 35 years has been macho, testosterone-driven guys who, uh, who love football and hitting people and I, UFC and wrestling and boxing. <clears throat> so I think we got the right bullseye here. I think we got the right audience to, uh, to talk about sports gambling with. So I'm very excited. And, and my background is that I've been in this business 35 years. I've been the king of Vegas gambling, as the media calls me, king of Vegas sports gambling. And I've got the star on the Vegas Strip to prove it. How's that for an honor? Right in front of Paris Resort and Casino is my 180-pound granite star that they drilled into the sidewalk. We had this amazing ceremony with thousands of people there. And the governor of Nevada awarded me the star and made it Wayne Root Day in the state of Nevada and the city of Las Vegas. And I joined Elvis and Liberace and uh, Wayne Newton and Siegfried and Roy and Bobby Darren and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. So what a great honor to be known as the best sports gambler and the best sports odds maker in the world. And that's what I've been doing for 35 years on TV, on radio. Now on the internet, everywhere you look, you'll find Wayne Root talking sports gambling. It's been a great run. And what did Don King always say? Only in America. I'm the most <laughs> patriotic guy on the planet Earth. God, I love this country. You know, this couldn't happen in any other country in the world. A guy picks football winners and he winds up with a star on the Vegas Walk of Stars. Pretty amazing. And, and by the way, one other thing, if you're a little bit older, if you're younger, you probably don't even remember Jimmy the Greek. But if you're older, you remember Jimmy the Greek. Snyder, who was the number one Vegas odds maker in the world on the CBS NFL pregame show for like 20 years with Brent Musburger and Phyllis George and Irv Cross. And I watched that show as a kid and I said, I want to be that guy, speaking of only in America. And the next thing you know, there's an article about me as the betting whiz kid and, uh, you know, the, the kid who could beat Jimmy the Greek. And it winds up in newspapers all over the United States of America. 
And fast forward about 10 years later, I'm Jim the Greek's partner on national TV. Him and I on CNBC did a show every week uh, going over the sports gambling picks. And I hit 77% best bet winners for two seasons. And that catapulted my career and the rest is history. Thank you, Jimmy the Greek. Rest in peace. He was my partner. Wow, man. What a story. And by the way, you're telling stories every week. You've got a podcast. I know you do a few of them every week. Tell everybody how we can find those. Sure. It's called Crush House. And we've got three of them, actually. We have Crush House, which is the main one where I took sports with uh, Sean Salisbury, former NFL quarterback, Minnesota Vikings and champion uh, who won the Grey Cup, which is the Super Bowl of Canada in the Canadian Football League. Sean and I talk sports every week on that. And it's just sports, not gambling. Then we've got Crush House Cappers, where, where I talk gambling with some of the world's greatest sports handicappers from my website, VegasWinners.com. VegasWinners.com. I've assembled 21 of the best champions at picking football winners. That's football, basketball, and baseball, by the way, that's ever been seen. All 21 in the lineup and in the team at VegasWinners.com. They're my boys. They're my team. My boys are girls. It's actually one female handicapper now, too. First time ever. So um, I have them on my podcast every single week, a variety of them. We change every week, three or four of them. Next week, a new three and four. So we introduce you to all the best pickers of uh, football and basketball and baseball in the world. And we give you predictions for free on the podcast. And then we have a third one <clears throat> called Crush House Legends. And we've got superstars retired from sports every week on that show. Last week, I had Warren Moon, one of the great quarterbacks in NFL history with me. What a great honor. And by the way, the first black quarterback ever inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame. That's his big honor in life. And, and I certainly appreciate it. And we talked about that. So Crush House, Crush House Cappers, Crush House Legends, all of them are found at VegasWinners.com, along with all of our picks and free winners every day and best bet winners and $1,000 in free coupons that you can apply to my game of the year. And as an example, every week there's one game that generally reaches that level for me. I call it the Wayne Alaroot game of the year. I developed that brand 35 years ago, the single best bet of the week that reaches a, a level of 92.2 out of 100 any, in any given week. And usually one a week reaches that level once in a while too. Once in a while we skip a week, but generally one game a week, I call it the Wayne Alaroot game of the year. Last four weeks, four plays, four and oh, 100% winners, game of the year this week, go there, apply the $1,000 in free coupons just for registering. You get it. You apply it to it, and, and you win. It's that simple. VegasWinners.com. Crush House Podcast at VegasWinners.com. So I, I got to ask, how are you so good at handicapping these games? I mean, 4-0, that's quite a streak already. Well, uh, you know, let's talk about every pick I've given this year in the NFL as an example. 23-8. and eight. Every pick I've given this year, four weeks in the bag, 23 and eight. There's nobody in the country that can match what I do, but I always make sure because anybody, Conrad, could make up anything. They could tell you and blow smoke and tell you, oh, I'm the greatest. But I am independently monitored and documented, so nobody could ever question what I say and go, I don't believe it. I send every pick to an independent monitoring and documentation service that has to get the pick before the game goes off and then publishes it after the game goes off. So anybody could see what I gave and those picks for the year, every NFL pick so far, 23 and eight, uh, four and zero with my games of the year. And then most importantly, primetime games, 
Everybody likes to bet Thursday night football, Sunday night football, and Monday night football. They like to put it all on the line on the game on national TV. And I'm 12 and one on those games, over 90% winners. I don't have the percent in front of me. I think it's like 93%, 94%, 12 and one. So how's that? How about those for some numbers? 23 and eight, 12 and one, four and oh, 36 years in this business. I've always been great at it, but this is the best start I've ever had. I've never been this good to start a season. You don't win every week, four weeks in a row, everything you put out. It's been the kind of year I've had. So get on a hot streak because when a guy's on a hot streak like me, you want to ride it. And by the way, why am I so good? I grew up in a really rough neighborhood on the Bronx borderline where everybody was in the mafia. Everybody was bookmakers. And, and I happened to have a gift. I don't know why. Every kid I knew was betting on games. And I cleaned them all out. And that's how I got that article in the newspaper that said I was the next Jimmy the Greek and the betting whiz kid. I cleaned out my entire high school, 4,000 kids, and every one of them owed me money. And so everybody started talking about it. And one of the fathers was a reporter, and he decided to do a story that Wade reached the next Jimmy the Greek and the betting whiz kid. And my career took off, and then I became Jimmy the Greek's partner. I've always had a talent for picking winners. Never quite as hot as I am right now, but I've always been very good at it. And, and I think it's because I do more homework than anybody else. You know, the average guy or gal watching this podcast, they, they don't have time. They have a career. They have jobs. They, they might read the newspaper or go online and see something, but they don't have time 80 hours a week to study the games. That's what I do. And I have a crew of guys behind me, my consultants, who every week we get together three times a week and they throw their ideas at me. I throw my ideas at them. And then I pick the final five plays on Saturday and Sunday in college and pro football. So, I mean, I've got a great team behind me, too, but it's we're all doing together hundreds of hours of homework. So you don't have to. It's all at VegasWinners.com. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to VegasWinners.com right now. Let's win some money. That's what it's all about. 23 and 8. Let's keep it going, baby. VegasWinners.com. And just to make you happy, $1,000 in free coupons just for registering. It takes under a minute to give us your name and your email. And from that point on, and nobody will ever contact you from that point on, you get a thousand dollars to apply to all of my picks and the team of 21 of the top sports handicappers in the world to apply to their picks. And what a smorgasbord, you know, what a menu to pick from. If I'm not your cup of tea. There's 20 others that'll blow your mind as the best in the world. So very proud about what we built at VegasWinners.com, Conrad. Let's go right now, boys and girls. Check it out. It's free to look. Let's win some cash. Vegaswinners.com. Uh, Lindsay wants to know, shout out to Lindsay who puts your face on cupcakes. And then you don't eat them. Uh, whose hand was it that came up from out of the grave? Tell me, that take the undertakers, but he was dead. No, he was just buried alive. And if you want to know alive, how to- he was buried alive. So wait a minute, this whole time y'all called him the dead man. That was all bullshit too. He was alive this but whole no, time. Just when he was buried, he was alive, but before he was dead, but he was alive when he was in the grave. I didn't say that. Cause that's how you buried but him. That was alive. Okay. Well, there it is. Boys and girls. There's the story of buried alive. Do you want me to just play this audio right now of how to perform the trick? No. <laughs> what? We've talked about everything on this show. Why does this one story? Why is this the one thing you're hanging on to? That's too far, David. I won't do it. It's, it's not like I'm asking who's going to win survivor series. 
I know what we can and can't talk about, but damn it. Why won't you tell me about this magic trick? Cause it's magic. Oh, fuck off. It's not a trick. Oh, so he's really shoot dead. You just said he's dead, man. You told me he was a dead man. Okay. But I'm going to wish I was dead because next week it's ask Bruce anything or actually you'll wish you're dead. I don't know, but let me mention this. We greatly appreciate all of you guys support. We hope that you will continue to uh, check out the show here and tell your friends all about what we're doing, but by goodness, the best way to introduce someone to what we're doing here on the show is to tell them about our YouTube, uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard has a YouTube channel. Bunch of you are subscribed. Greatly appreciate that. Go hit the subscribe notification bell as well. Just so you know, when we're uploading new stuff. It's the best way to introduce a new fan of the, a new potential fan of the podcast to our program. Sometimes our run times of two and three hours can be daunting, but you get a little appetizer, a little sampler platter over on YouTube and you get all these shows early and ad free at adfreeshows.com. Feel free to send Bruce a tweet. He won't see it. His handle is at Bruce Pritchard. Uh, I will see. You told me to delete it. I did because you were getting hot about shit that didn't matter. Okay. Uh, so keep it off your phone, but if you want to just send your hate tweets to him, he is at Bruce Pritchard. No ahead of time. He'll never see it. Uh, if you want our show to see the, uh, your message, then just tag us at Pritchard show. And if you've got a question for Bruce, that's the place to ask it. Ask at Pritchard show. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time and apparently words. So we see you next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Be nice and rock on. And my last number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. You were here. Some of my commercials and think to yourself, ah, that sounds too good to be true. That's probably malarkey. Here's the deal, man. It's real. Something to wrestle with uh, Bruce Pritchard is easily my favorite i mean i'm a, a diehard wrestling fan and i always knew who bruce pritchard was even though uh he wasn't necessarily known as bruce pritchard on air you start listening to the show and you start liking conrad as a person you're like okay i feel like i can trust this guy because he doesn't just let bruce walk all over him i emailed him and then clint reached out to me and then it's been it was a great experience after that so our goal was to save money every month, and we are saving over $200 a month. And we didn't add any additional time to the loan. So the life of the loan, we're looking at about a $50,000 savings. And what it means to me is uh, tuition for my kids, uh, pay off some extra debt. I have student loans, so we're going to pay those off. So our lifestyle is completely different. Go to SaveWithConrad.com because they will communicate with you in whatever way you are comfortable with. If it's text, if it's phone, if it's email, they're there for you. So definitely go to SaveWithConrad.com. We're routinely helping wrestling fans around the country, just like you, save tens of thousands of dollars. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.